Hello everyone and welcome to OT Ladies again. This is Sarah with you today. Hey everyone, welcome to OT Ladies. This is Dana. Hi Sarah. Hi, so today we have an exciting topic and it's program development. Yay, Sarah. I can't wait to hear about uh, this topic. So I want to actually start talking about this because I know you started a very good program at your hospital. So what what is that program about? Yeah, so I had an e exciting opportunity to be part of, you know, ground level uh, program development for cardiac in the inpatient hospital and uh, everything that went into that. So I was hired right when the team was trying to build basically OT, occupational therapists, seeing cardiac patients. So we had a very experienced therapist as an OT that had been there for many years and uh, maybe at some point we'll have her on for the OT talk. But she uh, and me, we kind of worked together to, to build a cardiac program and I had interned previously at a hospital that was very strong in inpatient cardiac rehab for occupational therapy, physical therapy, uh, nursing, had a really good mobility uh, plan. So it was nice to kind of come from that setting and then bring that to my new hospital. This is amazing, Sarah, because <laughs> um, occupational therapy in cardiac rehab, this is very novel to me. And I've heard that cardiac reha uh, rehab is mainly focused on other team members like nurses, physicians, PAs, and having occupational therapy in this program, it's something great, I guess. And I want to mention that I feel like as occupational therapists, we've seen phases, you know, in over these last couple years of emphasis on different areas. So, you know, five years back, or maybe a little before that, it was early mobility, ERAS, the idea of, you know, getting people mm -hmm. moving in ICU, getting people moving as soon as possible to reduce re-emissions and hospital stay times and prevent deconditioning and worsening of symptoms, all these other things. And then OT, we kind of shifted into oncology. You know, we saw this big, you know, influx of, you know, cardiac re or, um, oncology research and, and basically occupational therapists having great involvement in that. And to be honest, I feel like I was on the ground floor of seeing cardiac occupational therapy develop. And uh, so this year, AOTA, OTAC, um, mm -hmm. for the American Occupational Therapy Association for their annual conference that was canceled due to pandemic of COVID. Um, a lot of the presentations had to do with cardiac rehab, heart failure, left ventricular cyst device. You know, cardiac is kind of the new buzz all of a sudden. Uh, so, mm -hmm. so very exciting to kind of be in a little bit before that time. Yeah. Um, so, Sarah, um, I can relate uh, this program uh, pretty much to developing a new business mm -hmm. in my area. Um, so I'm not sure if we do have a cardiac program that is going to be run by OT in Southern California. Do you think um, since you started this program um, in Northern California, that would be an option for us here to develop this program here? 
Absolutely. In area? I think it it's hospital dependent. So first of all, the hospitalization or the hospital itself has mm-hmm. to have enough of the cardiac population to really create the program. So for example, in, in my region, Northern California, my hospital is a center within our network for cardiac patients. We have all of the specialists here for the surgeries and the techniques. And then, you know, there's another hospital that specializes in burns. It's our sister hospital, another Mm -hmm. one that's orthopedic. Not that we don't all kind of see some degree of these patients, but you know, if it's, if it's acute, we send people to these specialized areas. So yes, to answer your question, if there's enough of a population in that cardiac, uh, area to to warrant that Um, but I don't think it would hurt just as a general perspective in patients with just cardiac diagnoses you know Mm -hmm. uh, chronic heart failure or even pulmonary uh, dysfunction because you know a lot of the techniques the energy conservation self-care the the early mobility all those things are important and facilitating occupations within that it's just as important um, even if you might not be seeing those acute surgeries yeah that's amazing so can you tell us a little bit about the steps that um, if I want or another occupational therapist want to start this program here um, what is the first thing we need to do well, first of all, yeah, yeah. yeah um, Go ahead. So Go ahead. basically, one, you need to see a need. And you can't create a program if you don't have a need. And these are some basic steps. I didn't particularly use a specific model for this because, you know, over the years, I've looked at a couple different ones. Um, mm-hmm. And the more experienced therapists I've worked with have kind of seen even more. So this is kind of just a general workflow that, you know, we, we created in terms of of meeting our end goal of of coming on fully with this patient population. So number one is seeing a need. You basically Mm -hmm. have to see a patient population, client population that would benefit from your services. Okay. And then once you're like, oh, I think this person or these people can benefit from us, then you need to get some research to make sure that it would be in the best interest of that patient, the best interest of your resources, you know, and taking resources away from other individuals and patient populations. Like, is it worth it? Is it important? Will it help? Um, so that's a big part. And honestly, one of the biggest parts is to get, look through all your literature and be like, sort out exactly what would be best to, to do. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much like developing, um, or opening a new business, mm-hmm. definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I can relate this again to opening my small outpatient, uh, which is a mobile outpatient as a kind of like a small business. Um, the same thing I did, uh, finding the needs, what are the target population, uh, what do I want to serve, what is the niche, what is the goal that I do have for this. So considering all these, um, then I came up with my goals and then started the, the plan. And the only thing I guess I didn't face, um, face with is just the grant. So what, what was the grant uh, actually going through for you? So for us, we're a large organization, a large hospital network, and we did not need a grant. We basically had to, first of all, identify stakeholders, you know, our mm-hmm. target population. We had to make sure it was research. We had to make our goals. 
and have this plan, but then we had to kind of pitch all of these things to management that would pitch it to upper management that would pitch it to a hospital organizational wide uh, pool of money committee people that would basically mm-hmm. determine, okay, you know, all these people, they want money, they want money, they want money, but why does my services warrant that money this particular quarter? Mm-hmm. So a little bit different. But as you said, very similar to creating your own business because there's, you know, certain steps to come up with why we should do what we do. And it just, it's a little tweaked based on whether you're, you're within an organization or you're on your own. So what was your grant uh, process, Denna? So um, a very good question. Um, in order to start a very small business that I started, um, it's a mobile outpatient so I did not need a grant or um, I just used um, the saving or out-of-pocket money that I had. So um, um, all in all, overall, I guess I spent about uh, two grand, like a 2000 or maybe a little bit less than that to start um, a small business. Um, and the good thing about a mobile outpatient that is started is um, I, I do not need a space um, as I, I'm a mobile outpatient. So I have a contract with Medicare Part B, but I can still go to um, individuals, houses, people uh, who are in need for my services and help them and do occupational therapy for them. So I did not need um, a big amount of or chunk of money to um, rent a space. Or, um, yeah, so my the majority of money that I spent was on um, papers, all the paperwork that I did to have a contract with insurance company. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's a good thing about it. So I didn't have I didn't have to apply for a grant or any business type of loans uh, from the bank. Um, so that was kind of like a little bit different, uh, probably with the program developing that you did. But my question is just tell us or whomever doesn't know what is this program about like i know i've seen um in a hospital in my area that uh, cardiac rehab is very interesting so the nurses they put all the electrodes and machines connected to a patient (laughs) and then they send it yeah they ask about the mid levels from the physician and then they send the patient on the treadmill and then they're monitoring the heart or they're talking about activities that the patient can do or can't do so can you tell us briefly i know this is a very big program but can you tell us a little bit what you do exactly yes so in brief there's a difference between inpatient cardiac rehab and like a cardiac rehab almost outpatient kind of facility Uh so there is a division so oftentimes you know you hear about people hooked up to the electrodes and running on a treadmill they're actually going through their stress test in the beginning that will determine if they're, they don't look good in that test, uh, to put it in layman's terms, they're getting something like an open heart surgery, a cabbage, cor- coronary artery bypass surgery, or something like that. Um, then they would be in the inpatient mm-hmm. side, and they're in ICU, they see OT, they see PT, they have a nurse, we stress early mobility, OT works on sternal precautions for those that have sternal precautions. That's its own other uh, beast right now because there's some research saying, yeah, sternal precautions aren't really helpful. They might even hurt some patients based on the restrictive movement. So uh, even if 
patients don't have sternal precautions, occupational therapy at that point still facilitates, you know, early mobilization to ADL surfaces and ADL transfers and uh, mm-hmm. self-care tasks. So we're getting them to a commode, we're getting them to the bathroom, we're getting them to stand to brush their teeth. Uh, we're getting their flexibility better if they, you know, had a graft of a, a vein taken for the surgery, for the, for example, the cabbage because they might lose a little bit of flexibility. They might have mm-hmm. swelling in their fingers post-surgery, so coordination issues. So that's what I'm doing in terms of the ICU. And then once we're getting them to our step-down unit, then we're facilitating you know, return to all daily tasks in normal positioning. So standing mm-hmm. at the sink still, for definitely at this point, for brushing teeth, sitting for you know socks, standing for standing pant hike and drop, uh, for lower body dressing, uh, whatever way they do pericare, doing that, you know, we're not doing it in a commode anymore, we're doing it in the bathroom. And then the only thing that we don't really encourage for normal positioning is showering. We want them to sit for that. And usually that mm-hmm. kind of going back to the met levels that you mentioned previously and activity parameters, we're, we're trying to control them within a certain n- number. And not that everyone falls into this, but heart rate of 120 to 130 is about what we're shooting for. So mm-hmm. activities and studies have shown that something like a standing shower is actually more exerting than walking so that's why we have them sitting for that so we as occupational therapists take a role in terms of what they should do at what time in terms of ADLs Mm -hmm. and IDLs and that's kind of our role and then energy conservation that kind of thing so then at that point most of our patients actually go home to Mm -hmm. home health and some don't even need home health because they're doing so good and we follow up with them via video visits and we have guidelines about each week of what they should be doing we try to do a little customization we give them handouts so we have found in our facility that Mm -hmm. cardiac rehab really isn't needed for these Mm -hmm. patients Uh, so we don't have a outpatient cardiac rehab program which is is a little bit more common in the east coast and it'd be interesting if we get some comments and discussion about that so Mm -hmm. i think dana what you're kind of thinking of initially is like oh i do like cardiac rehab which i technically don't Mm. i do the inpatient cardiac rehab does that kind of make sense yeah yeah yeah, absolutely and um, as far as implementing the, the plan, um, let's say you do have your goals and then you do have a plan. Um, how is the communication with your physicians, the surgeons? Um, do, do you, as an oath occupational therapist, do you ask them about, okay, so we do have this patient. Can this patient go hiking or can resume cycling activities as um, someone who is an athlete and let's say like the swimming so do you ask the physician these questions or this is not so inpatient so to be honest occupational therapists at my hospital we don't go to the rounds it's only a physical therapy Mm -hmm. role at this time because of uh, we, we don't have enough people yet to go. And to be honest, our physical therapists are big advocates for us. So for efficiency mm-hmm. wise, we do have a type of uh, round that OT goes to, which is a LVAD, a left ventricular assist device rounds. And then the PTs go to the um, CVICU rounds. So as a team, we kind of take turns getting, mm-hmm. making sure communication uh, between the 
the uh, physician is done. But to put it in brief, it depends if they have sternal precautions or not. It depends mm -hmm. on how long the doctor writes the precautions for, um, whether they could go back to biking at a certain time. And then we really teach them to use the RPE, the Rate of Perceived Exertion Scale. So have you heard mm -hmm. of that one, Denna? Yeah, in a kind of a personal training, I guess they do mm. have. Oh, Is they it do? the same thing I'm talking about? Um, maybe it's I'm on a scale of 6 to 20. You know, how oh, no. fatigued do you then feel? 20 being you <laughs> climbed Mount Everest. And anyways, it goes down from there. 6 being no exertion at all. So basically, if you times that number. So you kind of teach people how what each mm -hmm. number should mean. And then once they have a good kind of understanding of the scale, which of course it doesn't, it's, subject, it's subjective. So not everybody has a good understanding or a good reporting to it, but most people do. Then mm -hmm. you take that number and you times it by 10. And if the person reports correctly and they really have a good sense of their exertion, it will equal their heart rate. So mm -hmm. seven times 10 would be 70. So that's someone that's just kind of, you know, woke mm -hmm. up starting to move, but not really tired. Whereas, you know, someone right out of, you know, cardiac surgery might feel a 14 or 15 and they might be really tacky or, mm -hmm. you know, it's not always a hundred percent, but um, in other words, we start getting them to basically know their number and when they should stop, when they should keep going. And then we do give them like a general like this is what you should do it this week make sure you do this the first two weeks and then if you feel this you can continue mm -hmm. doing these activities as long as the precautions etc etc but yeah i see the Very idea is we be we are the therapists that teach them how to take care of their own exertion and their own energy conservation and then yeah. we back off and it's it works and they also are, have access to video visits and some ways of kind of following up with us to make sure um, they're progressing nicely, which is, is good. And then it also allows for rapport between, you know, a provider mm -hmm. and a patient client where, you know, it's the same person that followed them from after their surgery. That's that's pretty powerful. So. Yeah, exactly. And then do you have um, any exercise program um, that you give them or it's just a verbal education to patients? Good question. So usually it depends on sternal precautions. So with their arms, what they can do. But usually we tell them for the first two weeks after they go home, do all your own self-care, sit for your shower, generally speaking and do three walks a day. And then we defer to the physical therapist for the pacing and distance of the walk and how mm -hmm. that should look, but we want that schedule to be built into their day. So oftentimes we'll help them come up with a daily schedule, talk about you know the best times to do different activities, the, the spreading out of activities, right? An energy conservation method. And then after mm -hmm. two weeks, we talk about what exercise, what activities can be added back in uh -huh. and then what exercise they do kind of depends on how they're feeling at that point so we don't have like a strict like oh they should do these arm exercises but the physical therapists do give them some lower extremity uh, exercises because most people have sternal precautions and we don't really want them moving their arms too much so it's only within the range of that they're allowed yeah so um, this is great to know because all I know about the cardiac rehab um, in the past is once I had home health patients with uh, open heart surgeries, 
I, I always see that they do have a small heart-shaped cushion that the hospital uh, mm-hmm. usually give them. Mm-hmm. And um, when they're home, they, they they pretty much know how to um, see, uh, roll in the bed or how to change their position from laying down position to sitting up because that's absolutely is important when they do have such a surgery or when they go even to the shower in the shower if they're clear to shower or if they're going to the um to use the bathroom um oh yeah they even know how to turn or how to flush the toilet even even that's kind of like um uh, is important to uh not to do it maybe in some cases because it opens the, the chest or the heart uh or the incision side mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. about coughing sneezing even um i've heard about um uh, bowel movement <laughs> so yeah if they're constipated which they're not supposed to not supposed to bear chest. down mm-hmm. yes yes so um that was my education or um, knowledge that um, I knew about um, how to see home health patients that have cabbage or open heart surgeries. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah, what about um, any pacemaker surgery? Do you deal with mm-hmm. those type of mm-hmm. patients too? Okay. So it okay. would be precautions only on the pacemaker side. And once again, I think it's important to mention that hospital to hospital, physician to physician, it changes. What someone's precautions are for all of these things like pacemakers, mm-hmm. sternal, um, port X. Port X is usually no precautions. It seems pretty generally, but I could be wrong. Someone could put it in mm-hmm. the comments. <laughs> so it, it <laughs> depends on um, basically the, the research behind it. And, and there's there's some studies that say sternal precautions, you know, are, are safer rather than not. Some that, and a lot that say, like, if you have certain conditions like diabetes or obesity, then you're at higher risk for basically the sternum opening up. Otherwise, you're not really at high risk, so moving your arms isn't bad. So basically, we just defer to, the, we can read all this research, but we follow the physician's orders uh, mm-hmm. for that. Uh, so yeah, we do see pacemaker. Um, I haven't seen that many ICD insertions, honestly. Uh, PT mm-hmm. gets some of those, but um, I've seen people farther along in their heart failure um, where they are getting additional ther- heart therapies in addition to the ICD placement, uh, for example. We see people oftentimes that have had a balloon pump placement, which for those of you that mm. don't know is IABP also uh, in terms of abbreviation where they have very strict parameters of positioning they can be in. It's an advanced heart therapy as well, a temporary one. And basically mm-hmm. once they're off that, they have a, a period of bed rest and then you get you can have orders to basically mobilize them and they're oftentimes very deconditioned. So yeah, the, it, it, it depends you know, on the hospital and physician. That's great. That's amazing, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Good job. <laughs> You know, it's a journey. It seems it seems easier than than not. But when I came in, Mm -hmm. the first thought was, why? Why should OT be there? You know, it was a lot of naysayers in the beginning, to be honest. It was like, why should you be? (laughs) And and it basically is like, okay, that's how you feel. Well, let me change your mind. Well, how do you do that? I knew there was a need. I knew this was a patient population that needed it. 
I research said that they needed they needed us for these things. What I didn't mention on the talk so far is that this population has a high percentage of anxiety, depression, and cognitive mm -hmm. deficits. Some before surgery, some after surgery, and the cognitive deficits don't always resolve, which is a whole other camp. So very OT is cardiac rehab. I knew that. So the first thing I did is in our inpatient department, so I started with it our own, is I did mm -hmm. a presentation to the PTs, the OT speech about basically all of this uh, research that says we're good in this area because of these reasons and these are some things you might not know that the cardiac population suffers from and then I, mm -hmm. sh I talked about what other hospital that I worked at did and it's like oh okay and everybody was really impressed and very excited and then we kept working and working and working we got on LVAD uh, which is a, a very advanced heart therapy a mechanical support device it's a big surgery they're here for like a month it's almost like acute rehab at this point for a cardiac patient because we see them for a, such a long period of time and mm -hmm. after we had this um this meeting you know this presentation that I gave then day by day we started basically winning over our physical therapists to be honest that's what I think it, it became is that oh OT would really be good here OT is working so hard look what they're doing with LVAD look at all the research they did mm -hmm. so they would go rounds for us because that's part of you know the workflow and they would talk us up to the physicians because the physicians then would start saying and the nurses well why why is OT here they brush teeth it's like mm, we do more <laughs> than that so person by person relationship by relationship we won over each person and there was ups and downs it wasn't just like a smooth sailing it was like some days I was so frustrated if somebody tells me one more time what OT can, <laughs> why is OT here I'm gonna I'm gonna lose it but um it, it worked and then now you know, we have automatic orders for our cardiac patients we are a valued member of the team we get calls before discharge we get calls from nurses where's OT it's like oh never before have we gotten that though so it takes time to develop a plan and I think the implementation is the hardest it's easy to be like this is what needs to be done it's so much mm -hmm. harder to do it and it might take it took us probably a year of every day just like this is what our plan is this we cannot lose our energy yeah. we cannot and I think a lot of and not even just occupational therapists anyone developing a plan can get easily burnt out with the day after day of doubting and people basically questioning why you know why mm -hmm. you're doing what you're doing you know so that yeah, was no. it <laughs> no exactly and then I'm sure um, just like uh, um, any other businesses you guys evaluate or reevaluate the program based on the results you get mm -hmm. or based on the physician's feedback um, or even the patient's or individual's feedback that they give you guys. Absolutely. So then you know how well this program is doing um, at, at your hospital. Just like any other business that we do evaluate the business after six months to a year, to see how well a business is doing. Absolutely. So, Sarah, do you recommend any books for anybody who is listening to us if they want to just develop any sort of program in their area? Yeah, so um, a good book is Program Development and Grant Writing Occupational Therapy, Making the Connection, first edition, Joy Dahl. So that is a good one. And I want to also mention a good inpatient, if anyone's inpatient, 
that talks about occupational therapy and how like out of all of these disciplines that were tested it was like the only one that like actively reduced re-emission so but it's called higher hospital spending on occupational therapy is associated with lower re-emission rates and it was published in a medical journal so i think that's important to mention and the sample sizes were like 400,000 like 500,000 and another like 400,000 so and don't quote me on exact numbers but it was like a half a million and mm. there was a couple examples of all these other fields and we were the only one that reduced re-emissions so once wow. again use your research look at your books and don't get discouraged because the hardest mm -hmm. part is implementation you know you go back and you reflect that's the easy part you're like okay i did it but how can we make it better that's kind of the fun part or you send out surveys like we've done but the hardest part is implementation and definitely for you too, Dana, you started your own business. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that everything in theory is like, this will be great. And then you're like <laughs> launching it. It's hard. And then you put money on the table. You know, it's, it's an investment. It's hard. Definitely. And it takes time. It takes time until it, um, every new business grow or just like any uh, new program. Grow. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. takes time. And um, that's great, Sarah. Do you have any other plan to start any other programs, new programs besides this? Or you want to just focus on um, cardiac rehab for now? Well, I think for now we're kind of, we're switching into telehealth. That's our goal for this year as a region because that's something that is kind of in 2020 been something that's been big because of a lot of changes with the CERN virus going around. And uh, the idea of trying to make sure we have increased access for our patients. So that's mm -hmm. this year, we're building more of a telehealth workflow. But in the future, I would like to get our hospital more involved in oncology for OT because we don't really have a role that's there amazing. yet. Yeah, definitely. That's a very interesting topic that um, maybe in the future we talk about that. Mm -hmm. And we have maybe guests speakers that mm -hmm. would like to talk about that or developing a new program for oncology and occupational therapy that would be very interesting that'd be great so, so let's end yeah. with a quote yeah you end it Donna. A quote for tonight <laughs> am i gonna read it or yes go read it okay <laughs> so our quote is uh from anthony robbins and he says every problem is a gift without problems we would not grow yay of course <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and it's a work in progress yes absolutely so also um i want to uh, tell our listeners that um if they like our podcast feel free to leave us a comment or um they can connect with us via our uh, gmail um and it's um otladiespodcast at gmail.com feel free to connect with us and we would like to have you for um, our next few podcasts as a guest speaker if you would like to. That would be great. And thank you everyone yeah. for joining us today and it was great to talk to you, Dana, as always. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks. All right. Talking about this program development tonight. That was wonderful. Great. Thank you. All righty. Have a good one, everybody. Bye. Bye.